Welcome to Leadership Stuff. This podcast is a production of Life Connection Ministry International, and I'm the host, Bishop Tim Daly, the president and co-founder. Leadership Stuff is dedicated to pastors, ministers, and spiritual leaders who are actively involved in ministry. It is our prayer that this podcast will bring encouragement, insight, and spiritual support to those who are serving on the front lines of ministry. We will try to accomplish this through practical teaching, interviews with leaders who are impacting their communities, and heart-to-heart talks about issues that are affecting the church today. Don't forget to check out our website on a regular basis. It is www.lcminetwork.com. Here you will find out about upcoming events, important announcements, video teachings, available books and material, and information about our fellowship of churches. Now, let's get to our interview today. I am honored today to have with me Dr. John Delhousay. He is a professor at Phoenix Seminary, an author and contributing author of several books and theological journals. He's an elder at Redemption Church Alhambra in Phoenix. He is a husband and the father of three great kids, and he is my friend. Thank you for giving me this time and for being willing to share your heart with the pastors and the leaders who will hear this podcast. John, I appreciate that. And I have been so excited to sit with you and have you share your insights with our precious listeners. So let's get started today by having you introduce to us your wife and children. Sure. And I'm really happy to be with you, Tim. Uh, I've been married for 24 years to Tiffany. Uh, We met in the youth ministry at our church. And we have three children, uh, two daughters, Livia is 17, and Jocelyn is 14, uh, and a son. Tate is eight years old. So you kind of broke it up a little better than I did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was really happy to have uh, only daughters. Tate came later, and, you know, it's been just a, it's been a blessing to have a son also. Boy, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tell us about the family you grew up in and about your personal spiritual journey into saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I know uh, your father was in ministry and still is. But um, so explain to the people what your background is. Yeah, my my father is a pastor. And so I I had the experience of growing up within the church, right. which is a very different story than people who have conversion stories of, of repenting and believing and coming in. Um, you know, I'm a sinner as well as everyone else, but I, as you know, the earliest memories I have are worshiping in church. And, uh, I can't think of a time where I didn't trust Jesus for my salvation. Uh, so I think my journey has been more of, um, a journey of sanctification or a sense of developing a, an intimate personal relationship with Jesus just because he's always been sort of in the backdrop of my life. Right. So what is your dad doing today then? Uh, He is still a pastor at large. Uh, He will often go to churches that need a senior pastor and will pastor those communities until they find one. 
but he's also uh, the president. Actually, he has just changed his role to chancellor uh, at Phoenix Seminary. Oh, okay. So who's the president? You? No, no. Uh, we're doing a, uh, a search right now to find someone with uh, administrative gifts and a vision for that sort of thing. Oh, okay. So as a young man, did you have someone who personally discipled and intentionally discipled you in your walk with the Lord? And if so, in what way did they do that? And how did that impact your walk with the Lord? Yeah, you know, being really honest, uh, the times where I was intentionally discipled were maybe the least influential in my life. And I know that sounds strange, but, uh, you know, I, I was thinking back and uh, I would be discipled by uh, uh, men a few years older than me uh, in the youth ministry. Right. But honestly, we had sort of a shallow understanding of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And so it, it generally didn't go beyond, uh, did you have a quiet time this week? Uh, usually questions about morality um, yeah. and kind of an accountability there. And so I, I don't have memories of a lot of growth in, in those relationships. Um, the most impactful relationships for me were almost uh, informal discipling. You know, I, I think of my football coach in high school who was a Christian yeah, and uh, demanding a lot out of me, you know, as a young man. And I found that by making those sort of demands on me, it kind of encouraged me to grow. Uh, or I think of my dad, you know, my dad never intentionally discipled me, uh, but being in his life and watching him preach and uh, be with people in the hospital uh, and, and so I was able to, I, really, it was kind of looking at their examples and wanting to aspire, uh, that I think had the biggest impact on me. Yeah. Well, let me add to that question a little bit. How, how do you, what do you think of as discipleship now, biblical discipleship? And do you see, uh, what's the value of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, in a way you could argue discipleship discipleship is is everything in this life yeah uh, it's it's basically an invitation from Jesus to come and follow him right um, Jesus was Jewish and in his culture the rabbi disciple relationship was pretty well defined yeah uh, basically you would live with your rabbi right and uh, you would watch uh, everything that the rabbi would do and so uh, it's it's a lot like today you know for example, um, industries where the only way to really learn those industries is just to imitate, right? Uh, right with someone that, uh, that that has those skills, like a butcher will train up a young man to become a butcher right. by basically tactically with his hands showing him how to cut at the joints of a of a of, of the meat. Right. And and I think Jesus uh, Jesus's idea of discipleship really wasn't abstract and overly intellectual. Uh, what they could see was a, a man on fire for God, right. led by the Holy Spirit, and a profoundly in a, intimate relationship with God as Abba, uh, as Father. Yes. And, and I think it was the power of the Spirit and His love for the Father, really a Trinitarian reality there, uh, that I think uh, ultimately drew the disciples to Him. Yeah, so often today I think people think of a discipleship as a, a class. Right. Or 
filling in the blanks in a discipleship book. Right. Whereas truly, biblically, it's relational. Absolutely. And not that we don't study together or pray together and sometimes class together, classroom Mm -hmm. situation, but that truly it's more life on life. It's a relationship together. I appreciate that. That's that's good understanding. I know for uh, Pastor Allen, who I discipled for a number of years, we literally lived together. I yeah, mean, that was part of the <laughs> process. So, um, yeah, we see Jesus in that capacity. So, let me ask you a little further: Do you intentionally disciple others today? And if so, how do you accomplish that? How do you select the ones that you disciple and? How important are these relationships to you personally? Yeah, uh, I would say that it would be along a continuum from very formal to, to informal. Yeah. And I'll have several uh, men, younger men, uh, along that continuum. Uh, and also a few female students as well. Yeah. But generally speaking, with the more formal relationships, it's usually a male and a male. Yes, Exactly. And uh, the seminary asked me to mentor students. Yeah. And so that's a pretty formalized uh, relationship where we'll meet together once a month and then talk at least maybe twice a month. And there, they really want me to focus more on character formation. Mm. And so the formality of the re- relationship kind of dictates what we, what we work on. And so in that, in that, in that context, uh, you know, I'm usually um, inviting them to, to, to be really honest with me uh, and vulnerable, uh, and then when it's appropriate, offering advice and, and praying with them. Uh, but then uh, I also, towards the informal spectrum, will have a number of uh, young men at our church, uh, Redemption, where it will often be, you know, like this week I met with a young man uh, just for coffee. Yeah. And we had never had a real conversation. And so it was just an, an opportunity there for an hour to hear his story. And then at the end of it, he initiated wanting to meet again. And so I, I think out of that informal relationship, may potentially could turn into a more formal one. Yeah. Um, probably this afternoon I'm going to go on a walk with another young man, nothing formal about it. He kind of initiates it, no agenda. Uh, but, but in my experience, generally, once that relationship is formed, um, you know, they invite you in, you know, to, to, to guide them in other ways. Yeah, for sure. I know as part of our discipling for my wife and I, it's, if I'm going to the airport, I say to an individual, you come with me, drive me to the airport, go Mm -hmm. with me to that place or to the airport. And on the way, we're talking. When we get there and waiting, we're talking, we're sharing, we're praying, we're dealing with issues. It's while on the way. that and Matthew, yeah. when he says, go make disciples, literally, it's not like we go to another country or whatever. It's while we're doing life, right? make disciples. Yes. And so, right, while we're walking, while we're eating, while whatever we're doing, we're in that process. So... One thing that Jesus was unique about in his discipleship was in his day, rabbis would often study and live with someone, but only for a season. Yeah. Uh, Where Jesus called people into a permanent relationship with him and one another. Yeah. uh, Which was a pretty original thing at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, it's living life and 
while the Lord may move people into different contexts. Yeah. So we may not necessarily live all of this life with the same people. Right. Uh, for me, anytime I make a friend in Christ, as far as I'm concerned, potentially that will be a relationship until death. Yes. You know, do us part. Yes. So, Amen. I yeah. agree with that. Well, what eventually led you to teach at uh, Phoenix Seminary? Well, uh, I always enjoyed teaching the Bible, and I would do that in youth ministry. Mm. And then uh, my dad encouraged me to go to Phoenix Seminary uh, for more study. Mm. Uh, at the time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go more in a secular direction and be a professor at a university, maybe teaching English or mm -hmm. literature or something like that. But I really fell in love with the Bible in seminary. And then uh, some of my professors encouraged me to go on to get the doctorate so that I could teach in a more academic setting, like like at the seminary. And so I listened to them. And and then uh, as I was completing my, my doctoral work, um, there was a need at the seminary to teach Greek. Mm. And uh, that was back in 2001. And so uh, we were also pregnant with uh, our first child and just felt like the Lord, there was an invitation there to come back to Arizona uh, and start teaching. And I've been there ever since. Wow. Since 2001? Yes. Wow. Praise God. Have you pastored before? Yeah. I, I was also ordained uh, in 1999 uh, at my home church, Scottsdale Bible. And I pastored in Pasadena when I was working on my doctorate. Mm -hmm. And then I pastored as an associate when I came back to Arizona mm. for a few years. Uh, then I became an elder. Um, and so I'd say most of my time while I've been at the seminary, I've also been bivocational, um, but as a volunteer, not, yeah. not on paid staff. Right. Yeah. So you also, as I mentioned earlier, are an elder here at uh, Redemption Church. And uh, how do you serve in that ministry? What is your responsibility there? Well, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm the newest elder. Okay. And so I, I was brought in in October, right. uh, just a few months ago. And I've learned that it's it's always wise, you know, to take a season just to learn the way. Yep. Uh, because there's the outer workings of a church, uh, and then there's the inner workings. Yeah, right. And it, it's, it, it doesn't serve well, especially when you're drawn to a church that is so healthy and, and doing things, you know, really well, to walk in with an agenda to kind of change, change yeah. everything yeah. up. That's not really my stage of life. So I kind of understand my role uh, primarily as an encourager. Uh, when I am invited into uh, an event or a ministry and, and there's some space there to give suggestions, um, I, you know, I'm happy to throw in my experience and, and to, to, to add um, what I think might enrich what we're trying to do. Right. That's good. Well, tell us about Phoenix Seminary and your position at the seminary, and uh, what are your favorite courses to teach? Why? Yeah, uh, I'm an associate professor at the seminary, and which I, means which means that uh, there's there's different, um, I guess, levels where you start out as an instructor, 
and then you become an assistant professor, then an associate professor, and then full professor. And then research professor is usually for senior faculty that want to have more time to write books and speak at conferences and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, Lord, it's up to the Lord how long we have, but um, I'd be in towards the middle of my my career. And uh, when I started at the seminary, uh, I was primarily teaching Greek, like I said. Um, I also teach quite a few New Testament courses. About five years ago, the seminary asked me to help start a spiritual formation program. Mm. And that's been very rich and challenging. And so I've been teaching a number of formation courses as well. Uh, when it comes to my favorite classes, it's always been the Gospels class. Uh, I've taught a a survey of the Gospels since when I began. And what what I really appreciate about that is it's an invitation to really bring students into the life of Jesus, you know, the story of Jesus. Um, I I, I think the the Jesus story of him being baptized, uh, then being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the testing of his faith, and then in the power of the Spirit, engaging in ministry of both embrace but also Mm -hmm. rebuke, (laughs) Uh, and then the sufferings that he undergoes, Um, And then, of course, the final week of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and then the giving of the same Holy Spirit to us. Yeah. Uh, That's the core story. And we are all invited into that reality. And so to me, to to have the privilege of kind of conveying that core, that that really that mystery of union with Christ, um, and to get 14, 15 weeks to do that, you know, gives me a lot of joy. And and students over the years have shared that that has been an impactful course uh, for them. Yeah. But I also like teaching Greek exegesis courses. Uh, I love being able to read the original text with the students, and uh, I love insight. I love pointing them to a word and then, you know, giving them a definition for it from a good dictionary um, and to talk about the grammar and the history. And uh, when you see that light bulb kind of go off, you know, metaphorically over a student's head when they're beginning to make these connections, um, you know, that's really rewarding. I mean, basically being able to convey a skill to someone, something that they didn't know coming into seminary, but they're leaving with that skill. Uh, and then knowing that when they fall in love with the skill, that they're going to be using that to bless God's people for the rest of their life uh, gives me a lot of joy. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's turn this a little bit different direction. What are some of the greatest problems that the church is facing in our world today? And... Uh, how do you think you're preparing young men and women to meet those challenges? Yeah. Yeah, I was giving some thought to that, and there's many problems. Uh, we live in a world of problems. But uh, two that came to mind for me was I, I, I think people in our culture have been pushed into such a frenetic pace uh, 
that uh, they're unable to care for their souls. And so I think so many of us are just kind of living in this default setting to kind of get by and and survive. Uh, We also live in a culture that really wants to stuff our bodies, but they starve our souls. And, And so for me, it's important to help Christians turn inward and to engage the heart. Yeah. Um, I think so easily Christians can kind of fall into, like we were talking about earlier, about a kind of discipleship, which is kind of checking off boxes. Yep, and yep. Um, The reality is, is the kind of formation that Jesus desires, it, it just, it takes time. Uh, it takes space. It takes silence. Uh, it takes community. And, it, and uh, it can often be a very loud thing in worship. And, mm-hmm. and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I think there also needs to be uh, space there uh, because Jesus would go into the wilderness. Uh, he would wake up in the morning and, and he would go off by himself. And, and so I, I, I think people's addiction to uh, technology, uh, I, I, you know, I think social media is, is valuable. It's become kind of the marketplace for mm-hmm. Westerners. Mm-hmm. Uh, for most of human history, there was always sort of a connection point in the village yeah. where people would go and talk, and, and we've lost that in these big cities. And so I think social media kind of meets that need, but it also, the technology is designed to make us addicted to it. Mm. Um, and that obviously isn't, isn't healthy, uh, and it can become a distraction uh, to God. I think another big problem, and I'm and I'm speaking Tim primarily from an urban context, right? In a Western context, um, I think another big problem is pluralism and boundaries. Uh, when I talk to younger people, millennials, um, it's encouraging in that they will often embrace other Christians of different denominations in ways that older generations, you know, really struggle with. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, um, sometimes you're going to see a Catholic and a Protestant being able to partner together in the valley uh, in, in various kinds of ministries like social work or whatever. Um, my wife, for example, works with Catholic Charities yeah. um, and she works at Hope Women's Center, which right. is an evangelical ministry. Right. And, and so I, I think that sort, of, that, that sort of gentleness and mutual respect for the other uh, is a strength, uh, but I'm also seeing potentially the erosion of boundaries in the sense that, you know, Muslims and Christians at the end of the day they're not they're not bowing before the same God, <laughs> you know. Right. Amen. You know, uh, the, our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one person or three persons in one essence, and and that mystery really distinguishes our tradition from the other monotheistic faiths. And so I'm starting to see sort of this subjectivity of, of, well, you believe whatever you believe and it. It's, 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 it makes you feel good. And so it must be okay. And Christianity is sort of my religion and, and it's kind of what I grew up in, but it certainly is not in any way true over your religion. And so I think there's a balance there, but uh, I, I think that there were boundaries for most of Christian history, yes. and and repentance and faith, you know, requires us to define ourselves in some ways against the world. 
Um, and so I, I, I think that's a significant challenge that we face. Yeah, I agree. We saw that. We see it still in the Middle East where some believers or Christians come in and try to mingle and mix to a degree that we're just the same, we just call them different right. kind of a thing, which is not true. I mean, right. It's just not true. Yeah, I mean, if if, if, if the Holy Spirit is reaching out to a, a Muslim right. by maybe conveying a vision or a dream, because I'm hearing of, you know, right. thousands of Muslims yes. uh, that are experiencing things in the name of Jesus, and I, I can celebrate that. Yeah, sure. You know, but at some point, they, they have to be confronted with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yeah. so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that you have extensively studied church history and the early church fathers. So what are the greatest lessons, and I know that's too broad, maybe the greatest lesson that we can learn from our early church fathers? Because we certainly often get so current and we neglect our rich heritage and what we can learn and what we should learn from those who have gone before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't have all the newest, greatest ideas. There's mm-hmm. nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. what should we be learning from our church fathers? Well, I, th- I mean, there are many things. Uh, one that comes to mind is when they talk about grace and when they talk about not being overly ascetic or, or you know, too disciplined or too legalistic, sometimes we think that the, those church fathers kind of live like us. But honestly, if they looked at the way we live our lives, I think they'd be thinking that we're way too lax. Yeah. And so, you know, what you see is, I think, great personal discipline uh, when it comes to habits. Mm. And, um, and, I, and I think they maybe um, thought that the gospel, no, I know that they believe that the gospel could really break uh, the enslavement of sin in a person's life. And, right. and sometimes I feel like we maybe downplay the power that the gospel can have in, in really changing people's lives. And so uh, I, I really appreciate that about them. Uh, I also appreciated um, their ability to recognize gifting in, in young people, mm. you know, particularly young men. And, yeah. and they were able to, they, they developed a very intentional catechetical process where at the beginning of the church's life, people would be baptized right away. Right. The problem with that was that many people were walking away from Jesus during persecution. Yeah. And so... You know, and there's, there can be a debate about this, uh, but uh, I, I love the fact that the bishops said, we're going to slow this process down. And before someone is baptized uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we really want them to understand the faith. Yeah. And so they would take sometimes two or three years mm-hmm. to really train up people right. and to give them the opportunity to when they finally were baptized, to really make it a renunciation of the world and of Satan. In fact, when they would be baptized, people would actually spit at the devil, which uh, is a practice that you'll find in Orthodox churches even even today. And so uh, to me, I think that's really significant because 
there's frankly kind of a sanctification gap in the church today. Yeah. Uh, and especially among leaders. And when leaders have these major moral failures, um, it's just devastating to the church. And so there were moral failures in the sure uh, in the in, in church history, obviously. But to be counted a church father, there was this idea of sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. And so there are great examples, like in Augustine, who had a really troubled early life, mm. struggled with all kinds of immorality, um, but then he uh, embraced sanctification and, uh, you know, became a model. So, You know, in India, uh, when a Hindu receives Christ... Um, that's a big, big step. I mean, yeah. you can add Jesus to your plethora of gods as a Hindu. Right. But when you really declare he is the way, the truth, the life, that you fully embrace the gospel, um, and they come to the place of baptism, they literally have to sign, especially up in the northern part of India, they have to sign a, a paper that says they're doing this on their own will. No one's coercing them. Wow. Huh. And then... We would march down through the streets. They'd bang drums. We'd gather people together. Then we would have them, again, ask them, to, are you sure you understand this? Is this because we had already sat down and mm. explained what the gospel is and what this baptism is and what you're doing, that mm-hmm. this is a separating point. And truly, the greatest challenge our pastors faced was those converts that came to Christ and then were baptized at the point of baptism was taking care of them. They lost mm-hmm. their homes, their families, their farms, their uh, a lot of that because of that. That was the separator. Yes. That was the separator. Right. You can be this secret saint, so to speak. Right. But when you're baptized and in such a public way, yes, that's it. Yes. And, you know, Jesus anticipated that, you know, by redefining family yeah. around him. And, yeah. and he said... You know, those that do the will of the Father, these are my brothers and sisters. And um, that's in some ways more real for our global brothers and sisters around the world, mm-hmm. India and other places yes. where, you know, to follow Jesus means to give up your your earthly that's family. Right. Yeah, And we saw that in the Middle East, too. Same, yeah. same deal. Well, uh, I've appreciated talking to you a little bit about your journey and our quiet private times together with the Holy Spirit recent years, kind of uh, part of your formation. Um, But what is the place of the Holy Spirit in the life and the ministry of God's people today, and especially in the role of the pastor and the church leader? How do you see that? Well, it's the Holy Spirit who changes things. Yeah. And, you know, pastors and leaders burn out when they forget that truth. Amen. So, you know, the Holy Spirit is like heat to wood. You know, wood has the potentiality to become hot, but without that agent, that, that heat, uh, that flame, if you will, it, it, it really can't rise to its potential. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're all servants in a sense of the Holy Spirit mm. who is not independent of the Son. You know, Jesus said that, you know, he would send another helper uh, who would explain his ministry uh, and the significance of what it means to abide in him. And yeah. and I also believe that it's the Holy Spirit that actually enables us to abide in Christ. Amen. Uh, and with one another. Yeah. And so 
uh, we're all completely dependent on um, Christ. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. Well, the Holy Spirit is what binds us uh, to Christ. And we're also, you know, we read in the Gospels that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so it makes sense that anyone in leadership needs to always be asking that question. Mm. You know, in any moment, am I being led by the Spirit or or am I being led by the flesh? Yes. Paul was able to break away from the Mosaic law and legalism because he was so confident in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us in the right way. And I think sometimes Christians can fall back into legalism mm. instead of really the dangerous, uh, more challenging way of being, you know, which is to really uh, seek the discernment of, of, of the Spirit, of the Spirit's leading in your life. Um, the Holy Spirit is um, our empowerment. Yeah. Uh, he, we talk about means of grace. Uh, we talk about different spiritual disciplines that we can engage in. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't work through those disciplines, they don't accomplish anything. Yeah. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is power. And uh, we, um, and then there's also this mysterious reality of um, praying in the Spirit. Yeah. And uh, honestly, Tim, that's an area in my life that I'm continuing to grow in mm -hmm. that really wasn't of value in my tradition. Right. Um, a few years ago, I felt like the Lord was calling me to uh, spend more time with charismatic Christians mm. uh, to learn from them. And, and so it, it's, been, it's been really interesting um, making friends uh, with Christians that regularly pray in the Spirit. Yeah. And, and I think there is a, an array. I mean, I think it's important to not be too narrow in what it means in terms of the Spirit right. being in our worship and so on. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think my tradition honestly bordered on quenching the Spirit. Uh, in, a, in a dangerous way. I, I, I think for us, we put so much merit in knowledge uh, and studying things about God um, where really what people need is a relationship with God, you know, to know God. Yes. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one that imparts that revelation and, and knowledge to people. And yeah. so um, I would love to think that whenever I'm preaching or teaching, that I'm partnering with the Spirit, Amen. Yeah. right? So that the, the the people listening, their hearts are being stirred, you know, along with their minds. So, right. yeah, I grew up in a s similar tradition as yours, almost the same actually. Um, and there came a point after 14 years of ministry that I too kind of went on my journey to, I guess. <laughs> come into that relationship. I'd kind of, basically our theology had led us to pretty much put the Holy Spirit and his work ceasing, you know, mm -hmm. at 70 AD. So, mm -hmm. so to be able to see his work and my brokenness as a pastor and my need, my deep need of his empowerment, because if he doesn't empower me, I'm, it is flesh. Mm -hmm. And all I can accomplish is what my talents and mm -hmm. abilities may be. But uh, that was a, a powerful journey for me. And mm -hmm. 
reshaped my life, my ministry, and uh, truly made me fall deeper in love with him. Amen. You know, I mean, yeah. Praise it's the incredible. Lord. Well, what should the local church be doing to better prepare their current and future leaders? Um, that's, you know, in our, where we're at working and what we're doing in, in our church planting visions and our network of churches and all, we, we really are striving to raise up from within the house. Mm-hmm. And so to us, a really important issue is how can we as a church really prepare these people? Because I went to traditional educational route, Christian education route, mm-hmm. as well as you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are many today that aren't going that same route. And mm-hmm. so, um, but they need to be prepared too. I mean, we yeah. can't send them out. Right. They'd be uh, like... Uh, sitting ducks, so to speak. Yes. They would do more harm to themselves and others. Yes. So how should the local church better prepare their current and future leaders? And then I think, too, how can the church and the seminary work together to train leaders? Because one is not the enemy. The seminary Mm -hmm. is not the enemy. The church Mm -hmm. is not the enemy of the Mm -hmm. seminary. I think uh, we have to partner together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there has to be right. a closer relationship. Right. So often, uh, even profs are disconnected from. That's why I appreciated you so much, John, is that you're not disconnected from the church. Mm-hmm. But I know I had profs in school that didn't even go to a local church. Right, right. I mean, they, they just didn't believe that was necessary for them. Yeah. But they're training local church workers. Yeah, that's, that's so sad. So how, yeah, how do we do this? I mean, what, how yeah. can we better do this? Yeah. Well, uh, I uh, again, I, I, I think history is helpful. Um, uh, our church uh, did a, an event a couple Saturdays ago called The Encounter. Yep. And this was the first time that um, I had been a part of it, being fairly new to the church. And it was such a blessing. And I had talked to so many people in our church whose lives uh, changed uh, from from the encounter. And what was interesting to me was kind of coming in quite a few of the elements of the day, because it went from eight in the morning to like six at night. Quite a few of the elements of the day uh, went back to what are called Ignatian exercises, um, that were um, put together by the Jesuits, uh, specifically Ignatius of Loyola. Mm. And even though it was very evangelical, uh, it had been contextualized for our community, a lot of that was kind of rooted in that. And um, when the church struggled for most of its history, where it became lazy or p- people were struggling with um, not maturing in the faith, Typically, what would happen up until the Reformation was that you would have an order created. Mm. And so the Jesuits were an order. Mm -hmm. And before them, you know, you had the Franciscans. Mm -hmm. And before them, you had the Benedictines uh, and so on. And and typically what you find in these orders is greater intentionality about discipling. Mm. What I like about the Ignatian exercises is it's all about Jesus. Mm. Um, And so... I think it's what I said earlier about really creating space and time for 
younger people to enter fully into the story of Jesus. Yeah. Right. To 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 dramatize it uh, in ways in which they they come to see, for example, that their baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit brings them into. Jesus's life, where at that moment when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit went into him and the Father said, you are my beloved. Mm. The church fathers believe that that's when the Trinity was formally revealed to the world. And in a sense, we're being baptized into that Trinitarian love of God, Mm. and then we're led by the Spirit and, and so on. And so we have these really profound, beautiful truths all bound up in our relationship with Jesus. And, um, but again, it it takes time and space uh, for some of those things to kind of get formed up in a person. Um, also, uh, I think we need to um, provide more space for personal confession. Mm. Uh, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, many, many people feel shame about sin. Uh, we all sin. In fact, Jesus assumes that we sin every day because he put it in his prayer. Yeah, you know, forgive yeah. us our sins yeah. as we've forgiven right. those who've sinned against us. Right, and, right. and so to to really create a, a, a space where people could be really, really honest about their deepest yearnings, Yeah. right? Um, and inviting them to get to that place where the Holy Spirit can kind of change the, the, the yearnings of their heart, ultimately to love God uh, and to love neighbor. When it comes to the seminary, um, I think the seminary is still an important piece, yeah. uh, not to replace the church. And certainly there's quite a bit of discipling that can happen in the church yeah. where the seminary really doesn't need to do that. Yeah. But there are skills that pastors really shouldn't be encumbered with, mm. meaning I, I don't think it's necessary for every pastor to teach uh, Greek and Hebrew Right. <laughs> to That's to <laughs> his uh, flock, um, I don't think um, every pastor has the time to stay up on the latest research when it comes to depression and anxiety right. and ways in which uh, we can address that. Uh, you need a Christian psychologist, right, that engages in conferences and reads all the works, and um, you 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 can't expect a pastor or a leader or an elder to know two thousand years of church history and to be able to retrieve all the church fathers to deal with any kind of problem. So, you know, when it comes to skills and expertise, I think it is helpful to have a seminary or a college or wherever where the space is given to to some, you know, to engage and stay on top of those things. Right. Um, But the seminary should never be arrogant about that, or professors should never be arrogant about that. You know, one, because they only have space to be an expert in just kind of a pretty small, narrow field. Sure. Um, you know, you, you, we're all dependent on one another. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, it's it's all about taking on our callings um, and the roles that Jesus calls us to play for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the proclamation of the gospel. So often there seems to be this gap. Yeah. How can we all better bridge that gap? Between the seminary and the local church? Yeah. Well, maybe even, let me put it this way. Yeah. How can we bring the education of the seminary to the local church also? Because, 
let's face it, not everybody in the local church is going to seminary. Yeah. But there's so much that you guys have to offer that how can we better partner as local churches with local seminaries? Mm-hmm. Um, we've formed a Bible institute to prepare our pastors and leaders. Obviously, in the Middle East, we don't have a seminary. Mm-hmm. So we're preparing our students. But here in Phoenix, there's more than one seminary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Christian college. Yeah, there's an embarrassment of riches here. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, very, very rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think two things have to happen. Uh, I, I think starting with the seminaries, um, I think um, the challenge is that many professors write for other professors. Uh, in the guild, the way to advance in your career right. is to publish. Exactly. And the reality is, is that the vast majority of Christians will never read any of these things that are published. Yeah. You can argue that it may have a trickle-down effect, and but even pastors generally are not going to be engaged in this level right. of research. Um, and so the temptation there is to not write for the church, but to write for other academics. And honestly, I think that's a huge problem, mm. uh, which has made the academy largely irrelevant to the mm. church. Mm. So I, I, I think more and more academics, I think, need to be willing to let go of trying to impress others and be willing to uh, do the hard work of contextualization to, to present these things to the church mm. um, and to always be asking ourselves, you know, what is the end of this project? Why am I engaged in this? That's you good. know, how does this edify the body of Christ? Um, on the other hand, I think the church sometimes suffers from anti-intellectualism. Yes. And they're really not interested in the truth sometimes. Mm. I mean, and that's maybe unfair, but, you know, in my experience, um, sometimes to get to the truth, you have to ask some really hard questions. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, for example, you know, why do, why is the Catholic Bible different from the Protestant Bible? Well, you can give a shallow answer to that. Mm-hmm. But if you really want the truth, you know, that's going to require some some deeper reflection and, and, and openness to that. And yeah. so uh, I think sometimes people in the local church um, just they don't think that they don't feel that engaging with those questions and um, the, the desire for truth really is at the center of, of what the church is about. But for me, you know, grace and truth are things that Jesus kind of held together. And, and so I, I think um, uh, Christians, I think, should, I would, I would encourage Christians to remember that Jesus says that the goal is to love God with all our mind. Yeah. You know, I mean, love God with everything. Right. Uh, But but I think, you know, historically, people forget the church actually created the university as we know it. True. You know, the the church created the hospital Mm. as we know it. Right. And so for most of our history, we were on the forefront of technology and and learning. Uh, Most of the great scientists were Christians, Mm -hmm. at least for the last 2,000 years. And ever since the Enlightenment, what's been sad is many intellectuals in our culture are atheist, 
yeah. or secular or yeah. agnostic and indifferent to God's existence. But then the church has almost like left that and has maybe lapsed into some fundamentalism mm. uh, and and maybe an unwillingness to engage intellectually with some of these things. And so for me, you know, the invitation is for a both and, not an either or, but to hold those together. Oh, that's good, John. And I think we need to pray as churches and leaders that that gap becomes less and that we work together, bringing the church, raising up leaders going forth and st- growing and studying and moving ahead, but also education, seminaries and all, being able to bring down to, and I don't think it's that they're less intelligent, but bringing the message to mm-hmm from the seminary to the church in a uh, effective way and how to help train churches in these areas. I think that would be, that that's a good partnership. And I love that word partnership because I think the church also needs to tell us uh, because there's so much information out there. Yeah. No one can handle all of it. No. And so I really think it takes the church and the seminary together to say, all right, if, if if we want to train up leaders to be pastors, and not all of them are going to be able to go to a three-year degree in no. seminary, right? What are the most important things, right. right, that we can package and convey to people, exactly. either with books or videos or podcasts? or right. um, Because there's a massive need to train up. I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors yeah. all over the world who do not have access to, uh, you know, this yeah. embarrassment of resources in the United States. Exactly. And they, they want training, but they just, we, we can't just hit them with a fire hose, yeah. you know, right. and overwhelm them because they need to be out there with the people and spending time with them. Yeah. And so finding, you know, what is most essential, uh, I think is an important question. And even financial resources, a lot of them don't have right. to be able to go to seminaries, you know, so thank you for that. And let's wrap this up a little bit here. And then I'm going to give a great announcement to our listeners. But what advice would you give to pastors and ministers and church leaders serving the Lord on the front line of ministry today? And you're talking to people that are in other countries, people that are really paying a high price to minister, do what they're doing. They're bivocational. They're uh, working many hours in a job to have a visa, but also serving double that for the church and people that love Jesus and they have their family issues and struggles and financial and all that and taking care of families back in their home countries and all that. Yeah. So what would you say to them today? As we close, how would you encourage them? Yeah, well, they are living out what I think is really at the core of the way of Jesus and the gospel, which is surrender. Yeah. Uh, And yet surrendering is also a dying daily to self, Mm. which, you know, I think there's an invitation there, you know, for, for, for prayer. Again, my my encouragement to them is, and again, we're all so busy. <laughs> and uh, if you're bivocational and having to work hard and uh, to to even be freed up to do ministry, uh, our time 
uh, becomes extremely precious. Mm. And I want to be careful how I say this, but, um, but Paul says, pray without ceasing. Yep. And to me, prayer is giving something the Holy Spirit to work with in our life. Yeah. And, and, and I think all of us need to be encouraged to continue to create that space, no matter the cost. Uh, because again, like we were saying, we can we can so easily fall into a mentality of ministry where we're doing, 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 and then not only do we burn out, but if we become detached from the work of the Spirit, then yeah. there's just no fruit. And so, um, it really comes down to um, really Jesus's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane: "Not my will, but Your will be done." Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right? And yeah. and and and. Coming to that place, I think, on a daily basis, mm. uh, which I know many of your listeners um, do. Um, so I guess it would be just to encourage them to to continue to live into that reality. Well, that's good advice, John. I, I know in my own years of ministry, times that you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, you're doing that, and pretty soon you're just doing. Right. You're not saturating yourself in that presence of the Lord and uh, some of the early fathers would say, you know, that they spent the, the early hours of their days, you know, get up very early and spend hours yeah. before the Lord, the great preachers of the past, that if they didn't have that time, they didn't have time for anything else. Yeah, they called it vicariado, yeah. which in Latin means being available to God. That's good. And St. Benedict encouraged, and Pope Gregory the Great said, yeah, you should spend three hours every morning just saying, here I am, Lord. Mm. And, um, and Pope Gregory was the, bu- the busiest man in Rome <laughs> at that time. For sure. You know, just he, he had a whole, the whole Roman church, you know, to pastor. And, and yet um, he, you know, he, he made that time. And so I think there's an invitation for us also. Well, well, thank you, John, for being with me, taking out of your busy schedule. I really appreciate it. And uh, the good news is this. I've been bugging John to uh, come with me to Kuwait, and he prayed about it, and he feels like the Lord has opened that door and leading him in that direction. And so, Lord willing, in October at our discipleship conference, Dr. John Del Husse will be with me, and uh, he's going to be sharing in the conference, and he's going to be teaching at the Bible Institute. So all of you in Kuwait, get excited about that and pray ahead for that. But any of you that can be there, even uh, if you need to come and visit us at that time, come back because we're excited to have him with us. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. When you subscribe to this podcast, you will be informed when a new episode is released. Please leave us a five-star rating if you are encouraged by these podcasts. You can also find our podcast online at lcminetwork.com. If you'd like to receive our newsletter entitled Connect, just drop us an email at info.lccowait.com. Don't forget to join with us as we partner with Journey Coffee to plant churches around the globe. Here's how it works. 
Go to our website and click on the Journey Coffee link. Every time you purchase some of this incredible coffee, Journey will donate a portion of the cell to LCMI Church Planting. Think about it. This is a double blessing. First, you get some great coffee that you can enjoy as you listen to leadership stuff. And secondly, you'll be partnering with us to raise more funds for missions. This is a win-win situation. Well, thanks again for tuning in. I love you, and I look forward to meeting with you again real soon. God bless.